I arrived at this point because I took the journey. I was, as they say, at the crossroads, and I took the road less travelled. When I reached this point for the first time, I was three years old. I remember it very distinctly, this point, this crossroads, this spot from where there is no return. There is no grassy path or trees at these crossroads, only lino. I remember lino. The lino is rich and red, not wine, not maroon, but a dusty, musty, rusty rose red, like a good Chianti. I remember my nose as it touches the lino. It is cold and I am warm. I remember the smell. I'd call it a soft, dust, pink baby smell. Johnson's baby powder. I can see the cream-coloured legs of the cot now. The paint is peeling. It was blue once, baby boy blue. My lips now touch the lino. I reach the pencil. I feel its many-sided sides. I taste the lead. I smell the dust and the vague whiff of pee. And there I am. My first real crisis of identity. Who am I and what am I about? Who else in the whole wide world is wrapping their lips around a blue pencil on red lino with the vaguest whiff of pee and Johnson's baby powder? You know that magic creation time that children have in their head where you invent and you have a world of your own and you live out this world of your own? I, you know, I would have done all of that, but I remember I being con- very conscious of this view. That's, it's very, very strong. It's actually that the, the, this whole thing was, that it was part of some amazing experiment. And out of somewhere, somebody was going to come out of the sky or whatever and say, OK, we're storming it now. And that was very real as part of um, how I viewed the world I lived in. Because there was, it, it, there was something completely absurd about the, fe- the feeling of difference that I would have had. In our blood, if you like, in, in family... We tend like tend to be people that were we push out boats, we take risks, and we tend to be in charge. I, I would have been from a very very early age, you know, when I was uh, certainly by the time I was five, six, seven. Um, most other kids uh, would of that age came to me, right, and uh, the the way it was was that. I suppose at a very early age, without looking back at it now, I would have realised that if I wanted to stay in the game, that I wasn't able to, going to be able to run like them. I wasn't going to be able to do other things, other things like them. But so I had to, I had to take take certain control at a point where I was, you know, where it was possible. So um, <laughs> I nearly carried the rules of the game. And they carried me. And that would have been, like, I'm looking at that and I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm actually realising, yes, that's the way it was. I don't want to be boxed in. 
I don't want to be boxed in. Being mute, I got to be cute. Being mute, I got to be cute. I must get my message out fast. I must get my message out fast. I know it's not right. I know that this is not how it is done. And I know that I know how it is. But to take that step, to do it the way that I know how it is to be done, is to step outside the boundary, to decide to be different, to make a determined step. Not a sideways shuffle, but a big, long, leapy stretch that will forever mark me out as clear as if it were this very moment I remember that dilemma. Can I step outside and say out loud, I'm different? Fifty-three, fifty-two now. And um, they see a reasonably stocky, reasonably stockily built, uh, five foot six, five foot seven, man coming towards them with a long cane, which is a full yard in front of him. Um, striding along, it must be too fast because frequently people say to me, cheekily, "You're walking too fast for a blind man." Um, I don't walk as fast as some of my blind friends. Other friends of mine have a very deferential attitude to people. They would say, oh, excuse me, oh, I'm dreadfully sorry. Where I would say, for God's sake, will you look where you're going? But what people would prefer to do is to take control of my body and dump it so they're in control and they can make sure I'm safe. See, it's the whole effort about making the decision of whether you need to be in control or not. And non-disabled people don't have to make that decision or they don't have to calculate this on a regular basis or on a daily basis. Where I feel I do as a disabled woman, I'm always thinking, I need to be in charge of this because if I don't, my rights are going to be eroded or I'm going to be treated badly. Everyone wants to pretend that I am not different. I know that this is the point where I can decide whether I continue with the I'm the same as everyone else routine or not. What I'm going to do, and at this point I know that I am going to do it, is to say no. Not loudly, not softly, not in any language that I understand but with the deftness and clarity that I know will stay with me for the rest of my life, I raise my lips from the lino. I leave the pencil on the floor. I stand up straight. And without ever looking down again, I pick up that blue pencil with my toes.
I did not have an accident. No, I don't find my body hard to live in. No, I don't want your money. No, I don't need your help. No, I don't want a straw. No, I don't want a minder. No, I don't think my skirt is too short. No, I don't think charities are taking good care of us. No, I don't think you ever saw me before. No, I don't know every disabled person in the country. No, I'm not grateful. No, I don't want a honey relic. No, I'm not filled with anger. No, I've never won a marathon. Now, you have no right to ask me these questions. And finally, you have no right to demand answers. Picking up that pencil marked the beginning of the journey. Having arrived at journey's end, I wanted to know why is this the road less travelled? Why is it so hard to question? to challenge, to dare to answer back? Why is it so difficult to find an answer, any answer that will bring no more questions, no more stares? There are different types of stares. There's positive stares, there's sexy stares, there's funny stares, there's a common stare, there's uh, no, I'm not really staring, I'm just looking stare. And there's all kinds of different stares. An example would be another woman looking at me and I know she thinks my clothes are nice or my hair is nice or I look good. And there's a common sense of feeling good and, and wishing someone well. Then there's that uncomfortable stare where you know when someone's looking at you they, they don't want you to know they're staring at you. And it, it's more about what are you doing in a place like this where you've no right to be here. And it's a kind of an angry stare, a hostile stare. And that's kind of scary. In other ways, some people think, I can't confront this. I can't. I, I don't have time. I'm having a bad day, they're making me feel worse. I get angry, I, I think it's my fault. It's my fault. You take a trip to Galway, Dublin to Galway on, on a train. You sit in the guard's van, completely cold, and pay a full ticket rate and so forth, uh, maybe for three, four hours at a time. Uh, Yes, and while your friends may sit up front because there's no chair, nothing for them, even if they're willing to sit with you. And nobody sees you except that uh, if somebody needs to throw on a parcel when you stop at some station or something like that. Yeah, I've been kicked out. I just get very angry because um, I feel, you know, Jesus, I was really cheated, wasn't I? I didn't get the treatment that everybody else got. Like uh, if I sat around, we played a game of cards, and somebody else got five cards to play their poker, and I got two. 
and I still had to put in the same kind of money. You know, I don't think too many at that table would sit for that. And I don't want to kind of pick on transport, you know, and yet I must pick on transport. We have a true meaning of what bus stop means. It means it stops, you stop there and you get left there by and large, you know, like in, in that kind of a way to be kicked out in, in a sense or asked to leave or to be kind of not let in the first. That happens, you know. That's that's happened a lot, and it definitely does leave your mark. No matter how how rounded you are, no matter how this and the other, of course it leaves your mark. Leaves a mark on you, you know, like that kind of thing. As a child, as a, the easiest thing, the easiest way of existing, living would be not to acknowledge my disability, and I don't think that changes for. Um, a lot of disabled people. I think that's that would still be the same sentiment and feeling is if I draw attention to myself it'll be too difficult it's all too painful I'm drawing attention to myself when I articulate my rights when I say this is what's really going on I don't like it because if I say I don't like it there's a possibility that those around me may not see me as this uh, passive cuddly disabled you know, um, object. As a traveller, I suppose, over the years you learn to talk back, but I've never been able to question why or be assertive enough. I'd just be so humiliated. And that, you know, it's, it's a horrible feeling to be asked to leave somewhere just because you use a wheelchair. I realize you're a traveler or whatever. It's like no one else in the restaurant ever stands up for you. You know, no other customer ever says, you know, they're not turning me off my food. Or another thing, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you want to sit in a prominent position and they want to put you over in the corner and they say you'll be more comfortable. And I always think, who, whose comfort are they thinking about? Their own or their other customers? They show me away. And if you look really nice and, you, you know, you want to show yourself off. And sometimes I think saying you are fashionable coffee houses or restaurants are quite upfront of ever wanting to have an alternative image and it'd be quite okay about having disabled people sitting in a prominent position but is this assumption that as soon as you walk in your rights are taken away you're told where to sit so you're disempowered even the order you know, make an order. It's strange, isn't it? I would describe myself as an aggressive personality. And I'm not proud of it. But it is in me. <clears throat> it's what drives me to cope with blindness. And the problem is to to uh, modify it in, in relationship to other people. I was about to cross a road only last week. And somebody was busy at something on the far side and said, Wait! Wait! 
And I stopped in horror. What's going to happen here? The road is perfectly clear. I should have gone by now. And he said, wait, wait. And I checked. No, the road was clear, absolutely clear. So I headed across and he had to run past me. He was trying to come across to help me across the road to tell me to wait because he judged that I had to be helpless here in this situation and wouldn't allow me to cross. But I would have before scowled at him and spat at him. I just called out to him, look, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about it. But I don't know what he thought of me. He probably thought I was some, you know, very impatient type, pushing away there, wouldn't wait. And he had to uh, put himself out, crossing the road, and then he had to come back again. And it was all an awkward situation. And if I'd only had the manners to wait and let him help me, nobody would have been put out, would they? Except me. If I walked along without the stick, just simply left it on the ground and carried on walking, they would have been indifferent to me. Um, so this was an artificial bit of baggage that came with carrying the stick. Immediately brought people's charitable attention on me. I was very bad at accepting that at first. I was bad enough trying to accept the fact I was going blind, which is very upsetting. Um, but when I felt good about overcoming the difficulty of managing with a stick, then I wasn't allowed to be satisfied with that. I had to oblige able-bodied people who wanted to help me and who, in helping me, were preventing me from using the new technique I was so proud of. And that, I think, is the centre of the conflict. Another chronic one is uh, to come into the dart station in Bray. Those poor guys at the dart station had so many bad experiences with me that I ended up being the enemy of one of them. They changed the staff since and they were all nice because I learned my lesson. It's very hard to find the gate onto the platform in Bray Dart Station. There are three turnstiles and one hinging gate. And with a stick, you get caught between the turnstiles and you have to pull in and out and in and out. But there are people moving in and out and in and out. So initially, I could never find the gate. And I would come up to the gate, which was closed eventually, and I'd be saying, is there anybody there? Can you, can I go through this gate? And by then the train would be revving to go. And I know I could get through if only this gate was open. And they, ha- they say, they eventually they come and they open the gate. And I say, where's the dart? Oh, it's going out now. And I've berated them for not letting me through the gate when I was calling. Then I'm furious with them and I'm furious with everybody I have a blazing scarlet halo around me, I can bet. Let nobody come near me, I'm awful. And then I'm Mr Nasty and I'm horrible. I would rather walk onto the station platform in a pleasant humour and sail through and have a nice day. I used to feel very embarrassed using my alphabet board with strangers. I used to feel very embarrassed about using my alphabet board with strangers. One day I was getting a taxi to town. The journey that day did not only leave my purse empty but it took all the power out of my body as well. The man kept ignoring my finger, pointing to the letters. He appeared as frustrated as I was. When he yelled into the car radio, Do you know where this child is going? She doesn't seem to know herself. It was only when I realised that he could not read. The other thing is that sometimes people say, Yeah, do you want to, do you want to drink of that tea? Do you want to drink of that tea? And I say, no, 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 it's gone, it's gone because some people are very comfortable at doing it and quite quite easy and find it. And others, they're not sure, so they just pour it into them. That's a big mouth anyway. <laughs> so that kind of thing. So it depends, you know, like... Um, 
Uh, so I, 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 I usually have to try and say no. So it's kind of, a, I suppose it's a little bit of both ways, comfortable with somebody doing it and they being comfortable as well, you know. Like there are times that I need help from people and so forth. So when you're kind of pushing people away, uh, which I have to do and so, you know, what I used to have to do more so, it would be difficult then maybe a little while later. They found it hard maybe sometimes to say, oh, he must be in better form now. He's looking for my help. I remember one time coming, coming in at Dublin Airport, right? And the lads, I'm going to think of it now. They were trying to be nice. and They were trying to make me feel comfortable. And straight away they says, I must know such and such. You know, he's he's like yourself, you know, like so I knew straight away. I actually did know the person, you know, and I remember saying, oh, who? No. And what do you mean he's like myself? No, and I'd start saying this. I kind of, I know, he's, he's got wheels, you know, gee, Greg, he goes in the marathon and all every year. You you look like somebody who does that as well, you know. I hear you now, you're so, you, I saw you one time, you know, that kind of thing. You won it one year. And I said, ha, ha, no, no, no. I was, you know, the kind of thing, so you drive and you start talking about the finishing line and I was the other side of it and so forth. I used to feel that, you know, so those kind of things. But because, I mean, looking back at it, I have to say that they were probably trying to make me feel comfortable. But um, I remember kind of going on then and saying, you know, like giving the impression, kind of kicking back and saying, you're from, where are you from again? You know, like, you know such and such, you know, he's from, you know, Ireland as well, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I don't know, is he a politician? Is he famous? So I don't know, you know, so kind of thing. So the penny would eventually drop. But that's where you're, the humour is good, and there's a bit of fun, and they know you don't mean any harm. But at the same time, you're delivering a very, a very definite punch. People have these notions about what disabled people should uh, should and shouldn't have. And it's like with children. Strangers who don't know children will assume because they're a certain age. You know, you don't give them something that they can't swallow or whatever. But people have that same attitude towards disabled people, like, like what sort of clothes she wearing. Sometimes I, I find it with... I ask for a cappuccino and they come back with tea. And I know, I definitely know. I said, cappuccino. And they still give me a cup of tea. And some days I'd say, no, I asked for a cappuccino. And other days I just let it slide. I, I suppose I find it really strange that on the one hand people will be overzealous around my disability and always wanting to know they want a hand. But yes, there's a quite a different reaction when you get asked to leave a restaurant or a pub or a hairdresser. It's like no other customer would say, what's the problem? And I find that strange, and uh, that makes me angry and curious as to why it's okay to ask for help, why it's why people don't.
village Nesrida asked why she'd been asked to leave. And I remember once being asked to a Women's Day celebration. Myself and another woman who used a wheelchair. And we both used power wheelchairs. They're quite big and cumbersome. And we were invited to a venue that was not accessible. We didn't know that. And we turned up and there was no ramp. And this was a national organisation for women. And we wouldn't have went just to cause embarrassment. But they were stupid enough to invite us just to say that they were inclusive without even thinking what inclusive means. Anyway, there was no ramp. And the president, Mary Robinson, was coming. And both of us, my friend and myself, refused to be carried up five steps. It just seemed ridiculous. You know, grown adults, you know, being lifted. And also, it's quite intrusive. And uh, people pulling and dragging them. You don't want it. You lose your sense of adulthood and your sense of autonomy. So we refused to be lifted up. And the, the organisers were going around in a great kerfuffle trying to get a ramp and all this sort of nonsense. So uh, it was in March, the 8th of March, women said there was a bit cold and late in the evening and uh, my friend and myself uh, were there about an hour and we were going to leave and Mary Robinson's car pulled up and uh, it was incredible. I, I just, I'll never forget it. The organisers were trying to usher in and she looked over at the two of us sitting there like lemons on a freezing March night and they walked straight over. I was so proud and shook my hand and I didn't even have to explain. She stood there until they got around and not only did she wait there but she referred to the incident in her address and the following day I received a, a very expensive pen and if you knew me I can't hold a pen and hence it was a stupid and most ridiculous way of apologizing I would have prepared a bunch of flowers or nothing. But the most offensive thing about the whole incident was the next day I went by the building and the ramp was taken away. I have made a journey, a great big journey. A journey without maps, without guides, without reference points. And I have made this journey alone. It has taken me years, many years, many twists and turns. I've climbed mountains that didn't need climbing. 
I have walked roads that didn't need walking. I have fought battles that didn't need fighting. And I have got scars that didn't need getting. There are those that have gone before me and those that will come after. There are those that I've met along the way. But essentially, I have made this journey alone. It is a journey to another language, another landscape, a place set apart. I would have had situations to an extent where others would have openly described me, right? And would have described me as they saw me very physically and very honestly. And those people very are almost always four-year-olds or five-year-olds used to be. And I don't know why, but it used to be always somewhere like maybe in a supermarket or something like that. And the interesting thing about it was, um, uh, they would say, Mammy, why is that man so funny and fat? Right, and or did he break his leg too? You know, the sort of kind of thing. Or did he break his leg bit and all that? That was no problem. Because I had the mechanisms of being able to handle and address those kind of things. Cause, but when they would openly say, so fat, oh shit, man. <laughs> Am I really fat? <laughs> I remember one time, a very enlightened, well, what I would have considered a very enlightened mother, kind of taking the time out and explaining to the child there and then. And then you got the whole, why, mommy, why, mommy? And I remember as clear as anything. And actually, the mother did really well explaining. And then the child kept saying, but why, mommy, this? And why, mommy, that? And I remember feeling, gee, child, shut up before she... I mean, she's done really well now. Don't ask for any more, kind of thing. But fair play. Um, the child won out... He got all his questions answered. I'm not saying that he was happy. I'm not necessarily saying that he was happy about it, but he certainly got his questions answered. I've never really thought about whether it's always appropriate or not. I know that I don't always feel like talking to children. In saying that, I mean, like, uh, uh, children will ask questions. And uh, when children notice things, you know, like they might have kind of, Maybe passed me by many times before, but here's the time that they're going to decide. I'm going to learn about this. Well, whatever, whatever way the child decides, and so on. And it's uh, I like to try and take the time out. It's like the grapes, you know, ready to make the wine. You got to get out and do it, or whatever at that stage. So I think there's a certain, certain thing like that. It's about people feeling uncomfortable and uh, communicating that in, 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 in all sorts of ways. And again, I, I would also 
you know, I believe a lot of what people are communicating in terms of their discomfort to, towards anybody who is different um, is how people feel about themselves, how happy people are in their own skin. And if you are visibly, physically perceived different, I think we tend to be a pickup for a lot of other people's discomfort. And that's wearing. Uh, people feel they have um, they, they have an automatic right to 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 communicate to you uh, a lot of their a lot of their vulnerability because they observe a perceived vulnerability so they see a common reference uh, point there and uh, again uh, that's that's wearing it's 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 tiring and and I'm not I don't get any better at dealing with that kind of scenario. I think I get more sarcastic in an icy, gritted teeth kind of way. Um, or I try and inject some kind of humour into it in uh, for my own sanity. Um, I'm somebody who, who you know, I, I, I probably have, would see myself as, as being very tolerant. Or, 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 you know, wanting to be tolerated. But I'm not terribly good at tolerating. And in, in some ways, there's a, le- there's a huge lesson for me in, in that, is that the, a, a way with, of dealing with it, if you like, is actually to tolerate it. Uh, and I don't mean accept it. Accepting is different. Accepting is about saying it's giving it a legitimacy. Tolerating is... Is, is allowing for people to have this view without taking it on. I don't have to, I don't have to, to act upon how people feel. In fact, to me, acceptance is this idea of regression. It's this idea of saying you endure, you tolerate. And um, I don't want to fall into that mindset. I have fallen into that mindset and I, I absolutely hate it when I come out of it to think that's where I've endured things, but up with things, not said something. Um, so it's, I can only describe it in terms of my stomach, you know, it's this desire to throw up. And also it, certainly would colour the situations I would find myself in or what I will or will not do. Um, And that increases as I age. I think um, I would put up with a lot of things when I was in my late teens, early 20s. Now I don't. You know, and rather than being in the situation and being angry, I just won't be in the situation. I don't think that I'm the biggest horror story in Bray. Um, But I think many people have had very unfortunate incidents with me where I have been angry. And I might be angry for some other reason and then they come and interfere so they get the brunt of it. But I think a disabled person can't afford to be caught angry. I think that people mostly see disabled people as helpless or angry. Helpless and taking the help are angry and difficult to deal with. If someone takes my arm, I say, do you mind if I take your arm? And I 
sort of twist my arm out of their hand to take their elbow, I mean like this, and this is much easier for me to follow you. Um, that sort of thing, I, I negotiate more. I certainly have learned, I mean, everything I've said to you, I'm conscious that I've contributed to the aggression around me. I would imagine that most people who want to give me a hand are not doing so in order to be aggressive with me. It has to be the other way around. I mean, I admit I do feel distressed about coping. So it is I who have to relate to those people. And I have learned some techniques for doing that, yes. When I'm out travelling, I try and say, hey, now listen, take a break. Because if I, if, it, if I don't, this will get to me long before it will ever get to them. So that kind of thing. And I think that's important that that you do learn to switch off, right? Because if you don't, um, <laughs> uh, people, people, you know, friends and things will say, oh, shit, he's at it again. They say it anyway, you know. Uh, if I dare use the expression standing up for yourself, you know, like uh, we have to do it so much that if we don't sit down and take a rest from time to time, you know, we'll be exhausted before we know it. And we will be into all sorts of burnout, frustrations and all of these other kind of different things, you know. I'd love to know what they're saying. Like, am I looking bad? Do I repulse them? Do I look helpless? Do I look vulnerable? Do I look intimidating? Do I look powerful? Do I look as if I don't know where I'm going? Do I look unhappy with myself? Do I look as if I need help? Do I look scary? Do I frighten them? Is my button open in a private place? I don't know what I'd say. I suppose I'd ask them to stop staring, particularly when I'm PMT. I have arrived. I have arrived in Japan. This is not where the story begins. It is not where the story ends. The story is not even about Japan. It is about arriving. And I have arrived. And it happens to be Japan. Japan is a country with a tight, polite language. It is a country without handshakes. The Japanese do not gesticulate. They never wave their hands about, ever. They do not wiggle their fingers, ever. They do not point or poke or push or prod. They do, however, like to slurp their soup. They rarely use table knives and they don't ever use forks. But that's another story. For the purpose of this story, the main point is that they bow. They bow in great numbers. They bow in the morning. Konnichiwa, Ohio. They bow in the evening. Oyasumi Nasai. They bow in the shops, in the subway, in the streets, in the bars. They bow on their bicycles. Their main point is that they bow a lot. And they frown on handshakes. In fact, they like very much to keep their hands to themselves. 
Hands in Japan are low priority, and they always bow. They nod their heads, avert their eyes. They are very, very polite, and they never, ever, ever stare. Japan is my kind of country. <laughs>